Now, this is Box to Box with Michael Edgley and Willem van Denderen. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. With Rob Gilbert on the bench, you're with Willem van Denderen and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the world game. First edition news shortly. And of course, we'll be joined throughout the show by our former ITN journo turned pundit, Derek Dyson. The Socceroos are out of the Asian Cup. There's no other way to spin that after letting slip a game they held in their hands as South Korea pulled off another escape that sees them still in with a chance of breaking their considerable tournament drought. To mull over that result and all the other key storylines ahead of the semifinals, we'll be joined by the Asian Games' Scott McIntyre. And if you think the Asian Cup's thrown up some drama and some curveballs, you would have been blown away by what we've seen at AFCON. Nigeria, DR Congo, South Korea, the Bafana Bafana, and somehow the Cote d'Ivoire, the hosts, make up our final four. There is no greater authority on AFCON than our friend at BBC Sport Africa, Rob Stevens. So Rob will jump on and we'll have a chat. World Cup corner, back to its usual moniker this week, and there's some exciting news around what the 2026 World Cup is going to look like. The boys have plenty lined up there. Let's roll into it, Michael. We're, we're welcoming you, you in, in Thailand as normal. We'll get into the, the minutiae of the Socceroos in just a minute in, in first edition news. But as we do welcome you in for the first time, just your top line emotions after a genuine crashing out. Well, it's the big talking point, wasn't it, Willem? Um, Australia's elimination from the AFC Asian Cup. Um, well, yeah, obviously disappointing. Look, for me, um, the pass mark was for the Socceroos to make the semi-finals based on our ranking in Asia and performance at the recent 2022 Qatar World Cup. So it is disappointing. And probably the disappointment is a little bit more acute because we missed some uh, very significant guilt-headed chances, didn't we, which could have put a lot of pressure on Korea. Uh, we could have been two or three goals rather than uh, the one goal that Craig Goodwin so uh, nicely finished. However, um, at these tournaments, and uh, you get to these stages of the of the of the tournament, and Korea's a super team, and they've got a super player, and he uh, he got us at the end of the match, and uh, his free kick was definitely the difference. But um, yes, I know we'll talk to Scott McIntyre in a lot of detail about it. He's got some interesting comments about Graham Arnold going to five at the back, and how that really, um, once the equaliser came, was the death knell for the Socceroos going forward in extra time. But yeah, disappointing. Uh, they have to pick up their pick up their uh, their gear and uh, go back to their clubs and um, and uh, take the next opportunity, which is obviously going to be the World Cup qualifying campaign. And Derek, we're going to carry the AFCON brief with Rob Stevens later, but we've been enthralled by uh, the story of the Blue Sharks, Cape Verde, but unfortunately, uh, the Shark Nodo has run out of puff. Welcome. Yeah, the Blue Sharks are feeling blue and very disappointed to, to see them go, but this tournament's got a lot of life left in it. The, the Ivory Coast result was just absolutely sensational. You cannot write the script for them, not just the game, but the whole tournament, sacking their manager and the group stage is limping through with the, by the barest of margins and then getting through this game with uh, two very, very late goals to send that stadium of fans absolutely ballistic. So we'll be asking Rob Stevens whether they are the, or whether they are the favourites uh, or whether Nigeria and their fine performances um, uh, could make them the favourites. Uh, maybe South Africa, Bafana Bafana, have something to say about yes. that too, or, or even Congo. So looking forward to talking it through. Now I can see you're all 
all three of you, including Adam Maloney on the buttons there, champing at the bit to discuss Rob Gilbert's absence off the back of an Arsenal 3 Liverpool 1 result. But keep your uh, keep your powder uh, dry. We'll come shortly. Uh, the Socceroos are out of the Asian Cup at the quarterfinal stage for the second time running. Uh, Craig Goodwin's first half goal, not enough for a side that did spurn opportunities uh, to bury the game in the second half. And then eventually we did pay the price as Lewis Miller's uh, conceded penalty was converted by Huang He Chan. Song, Son Hyung Min's go ahead goal was then compounded by a red card to Aiden O'Neill. And from that point, Edge, uh, Graham Arnold's side were as good as out of it. Here is a little bit of Arnie in his post tournament press conference discussing his tactics at the death. Uh, and then also uh, Lewis Miller as an individual and his performance in the quarterfinal. Yeah, look, I think uh, with uh, South Korea down 1 0, and they threw an extra couple of players up front. Um, there was many, many times it was a six against four, especially on that right side. Um, and, you know, so to make a tactical change to go to a back five to, to deal with that was doing and, and was going well until obviously the penalty. But, um, you know, as I said, it's, uh, it is what it is. And um, it's hard to, at the moment, emotionally to, to you know, give too much information, but I need to go home, and obviously, and watch it and, and uh, yeah, I've learned a lot from this uh, Asian Cup. I put my arm around him and give him a hug and tell him that uh, you know, these things are lessons in life and, uh, you, you know, you learn from these type of things and, and uh, you move forward. And, uh, he's, you know, these boys will be on a plane in the next five or six hours to get back to their clubs and he's got to get back to his club and... Uh, Obviously, it's a different environment to here, and he'll he'll be fine. Interesting comments from Graham. I mean, going to five at the back at the time it was a roll of the dice. Had we held on, it would have been um, uh, heralded as a as a you know a good a good move. However, it it really did put the, the Socceroos on the back foot for extra time, and then Aidan O'Neill's red card pretty much uh, was the end of it. I, I don't like. I know Graham done it a few times. But I don't like Harry Suto going up forward. In that role, I just think that's not uh, at that stage of the game was, um, yeah, sort of a uh, hope and a prayer rather than sort of any um, significant tactical move. But um, yeah, interesting comments. And, and Lewis Miller, I mean, he, he, he always difficult to come into a tournament at that stage of the event. He hadn't had any time really leading up to that match, and obviously Gethin Jones' injury made uh, his opportunity come to life, didn't it, Willem? So. Um, he gets out there, he concedes a penalty and a free kick and uh, and, and the two goals. So he'll be feeling it. Um, Graham's right to say to put his armour in, it's all he can do and uh, be positive about it. But um, unfortunately, those two mistakes will be reflected on by a lot of uh, Socceroos fans. And um, Lewis, um, yeah, probably has, has not had enough time to be ready at that point um, of a, such a crucial game. Very difficult to come on and... Um, and, uh, you know, we all saw what happened. Yeah, he flipped his squad really well throughout the tournament. He played both the left-backs, he played all of the, the three centre-backs, he played all the midfielders. Miller was the one who hadn't had any time, so that was Well, yeah, he's caught with Gethin Jones' injury. Yeah. And Atkinson, I thought, did really, really well. So um, when he decided to make that substitution, um, yeah, it was always going to be a bit of a problem, and, and Miller was um, the one that was coming up against Son, wasn't he? 
Yeah, interesting comments Arnie made that Goodwin and Atkinson were cooked was the word he used when you consider the break that South Korea had come off. Um, yeah, it was they who, who sort of ran over the top of us. Paul Wade last week, very prescient point that the uh, the two-day turnaround wouldn't make any difference. He also indicated in there that there might be a couple move on uh, retirement-wise, so we'll see how that plays out over the next six to 12 months. But yeah, I think my, my, final, my final point on it for now before we welcome in Scott is if you're not good enough and you go out, as was the case 2019, well, it wasn't going to be the case, but I think we were definitely good enough and we were seeing it all come to fruition and we were just a minute away from, uh, from a very different next couple of weeks. So disappointing is the word and um, yes, Edge, we'll, uh, we'll pick up and move on, but yeah, very, very flat over the past couple of days. Yeah, just the last, the last comment. It's probably, this is the perfect time for, um, if there are players considering uh, their international uh, future, Now's the time while we've got some games against some minnows in uh, the World Cup qualification campaign. So it'll be interesting to see whether um, some of the more experienced ones decide to go on or not. Mitchell Duke's probably one uh, that everyone's thinking about. South Korea will meet Jordan in Tuesday's first semi-final as they look to win their third Asian Cup, but first since 1960. For all the criticism of Jurgen Klinsmann and his management, they press on. Jordan have reached the semi-finals for the first time after their 1-0 defeat of Tajikistan. Uh, they twice previously reached the quarterfinals, but have never made it this far. The other semi-final is going to see hosts and holders Qatar, who needed penalties to defeat uh, Uzbekistan, meet three-time winners Iran, uh, whose late win over Japan was going to be on the agenda uh, with Scott shortly. Arsenal, as we move on the pitch uh, domestically, international domestic, if you, uh, if you take my point, uh, they've reasserted themselves in the Premier League title race after a 3-1 win over Liverpool. Uh, the up and down seasons of Man U and Chelsea continued. United 3-0 winners over West Ham, Chelsea 4-2 losers at home to Wolves. Uh, watch those two sides flip those uh, results next week. Uh, while in Spain, Atletico Madrid snatched a late point over Real with a one-all draw. Real lead Girona by just two points as opposed to four. And in Italy, Inter Milan have pulled four points clear of Juventus after winning their top-of-the-table clash 1-0, split by an own goal. And that goes back to the old Serie A motto of the 90s, the 1-0 win uh, is the perfect win. But Derek, uh, let's, uh, let's let you... Let rip at the Premier League. Arsenal back in it, or does that just sort of drag Liverpool down and mean that City will be licking their lips uh, with still their game against Brentford to come as we record? Yeah, well, first things first. I think just need to underline what an absolute disgrace it is that Rob Gilbert isn't here to face up this uh, this Arsenal victory. I think Edge and I have rolled up for every uh, defeat in the past uh, few years. So the fact he's not here is very, very poor form indeed, but it, it is uh, not surprising because his team were pretty bad at Emirates Stadium. They gifted uh, Arsenal the uh, the victory in many ways. Arsene Becker's horrendous error allowing Gabriel Martinelli, his uh, Brazilian compatriot, uh, the chance to make it 2-1. And of course, Trossard sealed it with another piece of iffy goalkeeping, albeit a little deflection may have, uh, may have fooled Alisson on this occasion. So, it really depends, and I'll get Edge's view on this, it really depends on your perspective. The media narrative is that Arsenal are back in the title race because that's just what the media needs. Uh, my view on it is slightly more sanguine. So it was a great result. It was a result we badly needed. Uh, I still feel like Manchester City uh, are the ones, and I think they're the ones who benefited most from the result yesterday. I think Liverpool will come back. Uh, Arsenal, I think, can hang on to the coattails for a little bit, uh, but I'm not I'm not predicting them to be 
in there in the last few weeks of the season. But what do you think, Edge? Yeah, it was a result that nobody expected. It was sort of against the run of play, wasn't it? Almost uh, that sort of dominant performance. So, um, look, you know, mathematically they're in the hunt. I agree with you, Manchester City, two games in hand. You know, they win those two games and they're, uh, they're top of the table. So, um, you know, they're the ones that everyone has to stop. Um, Arsenal, um, it'll be just interesting whether they can, um, whether whether Arsenal can generate some momentum in, you know, five or six matches without a defeat. Uh, yeah, look, I, I don't think they're a title chance, but um, they definitely, definitely can finish second. Things have opened up in the A-League women's as well. Edge League leaders City have lost consecutive matches. Uh, Western United and Sydney FC now trail by just three points. Michelle Heyman's 10th goal of the season uh, for Canberra opened the scoring in that win over City and they went on to a a 3-1 win. Michelle at 35 is eyeing off uh, what would be a record-breaking third golden boot having won her first two in 2009 and 2011-12. So wouldn't that be something of a uh, an award to uh, to cap uh, what... Well, it's not really a renaissance. She's been doing it pretty consistently, but yeah, certainly in the uh, the, the Indian summer of her career, she's uh, well. She just proves when you're in good shape, you can do these things if you've got the talent and class. And she's in great condition, and she takes her chances, and um, she's performing as only as best she can. And uh, it's just a shame that Canberra, the rest of the team, it's a pretty thin squad, so they're not having a lot of success. Although they had a good win last week, um, Michelle Heyman is uh, having a, a season, another one to reflect them on and uh, that golden boot is up there for grabs. The best story out of the A-League men's uh, comes as part of Socceroos and Matilda Central for the Green and Gold Army. Is there still time, Edge, to book your trip to uh, to Tashkent to see the Matildas in the first leg of that Olympic qualifier against Uzbekistan? Feb 24, the game is, so it's getting tight. Oh, yeah, there's still a couple of days. You can get uh, get onto the team and they'll take your booking and get you across to Tashkent uh, with quite a good crew going it's going to be a lot of fun Uzbekistan's a wonderful wonderful place that Silk Road history combined with the Matildas Olympic Games qualifier great holiday sounds pretty good to me uh, that top story for mine is that Joe Gauchi is leaving he signed a long-term deal with Aston Villa reportedly worth two and a half million Australian which if true is a new record sale for Australian domestic clubs for so long edge it was uh Jelko Kalic to Leicester City was it not that was the record for 20 odd years and it's now been uh, broken three times in 12 months or so with Jordan Boss and Marco Tilio's moves. Uh, a proud history of Aussies at the Villa, Mark Bosnich, Mila Yedinak, um, maybe not so much Brett Holman and, and Chris Hurd. They weren't quite at their best there. But uh, remarkably, this is the second keeper that Adelaide have sold in the past fortnight to a, a Premier League club. Uh, Stephen Hall played three games as a 16-year-old in 2022. He's now 19, and he's gone to Brighton and Hove Albion until 2027. So you consider that they're also going to sell Nestori Iran Kunda. Uh, they're raking in a bit of cash at the minute, Adelaide. It's not helping their league position, and that's a balance that they've actually usually gotten right, and maybe it's now one that might be tipping a little bit the other way, but still great for, for Joe, and that's an opportunity that he'll uh, he'll snap up. Maybe six months behind Emi Martinez and then off to the championship, you'd think. Yeah, I just wonder what the, uh, I mean, Martinez is a, is a loose unit. So it'll be an interesting understudy experience for, for Joe, won't it? Yeah, well, I wonder if he goes around to his house for dinner and he'll have to get past the Belgian Mellonhouse 30,000 pound hunting dog that he bought after he, you know, pissed everyone off during the World Cup and then needed uh, needed a yeah, guard dog. Uh, for his house. A couple more moves for the Socceroos. Aziz Bayic is going to Al Nazar to play with Cristiano Ronaldo. 
Uh, and City are going to get back, uh, one back the other way with Marco Tilio returning on loan after a very quiet six months with Celtic. And to round out, Katrina Gorey is proving a great signing for West Ham. Player of the match for a second straight game. The Hammers defeated Arsenal 2-1, so that's a big turnover, uh, and moved clear of the drop. Mackenzie Arnold in goal for the Hammers as usual, and Charlie Grant started for Spurs in their one-all draw with Liverpool. Mary Fowler continues to deputise off the bench for City, coming on late in a win that sees them past Arsenal into the second. It's the end of the news, but we are just warming up. Stick around. Scott McIntyre of the Asian game is coming up shortly, and we're going to jump into the Asian Cup. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. The Asian Cup looked to be opening up for the Socceroos as big-name opponents fell at the knockout stages, which only compounds the disappointment of that exit at the hands of South Korea. Scott McIntyre is on the ground in Doha for the Asian game, and he joins us once again as we look towards a semi-final group of South Korea, Jordan, Iran, and Qatar. Scott, salam alaikum. I thought the uh, Jordanian fans might have engulfed you at the at the Sugwa GIF a couple of days ago, so nice to see you're uh, alive and well and with us again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great to be with you. A fantastic story, Jordan. I mean, Tajikistan was obviously a fantastic uh, story. So whoever, whoever got through that match was going to be kind of the fairy tale. Uh, yeah, story of the whole tournament. And it's it good in a way that um, there's local interest still here with the Qataris obviously in it. And in a way, uh, regional interest as well with Jordan and, and Iran. You know, I think the organisers might have feared an all-Central Asian final between the Uzbeks and the Tajiks. And I don't know that would have gone down too well. We'll deal with the uh, the Socceroos and South Korea off the top. Australia do pack their bags, having conceded one goal from open play uh, in five games while Jurgen Klinsmann and, and South Korea live another day thanks to another uh, late show. Having listened to your uh, your your debrief on uh, the Asian game, it seems fair that your to say that your key takeaways were around Graham Arnold's uh, late tactical decision to go to five at the back. Yeah, I think it, it certainly hurt because it was an all-in move. You know, you'd I think around that time you'd certainly used all your substitutions. So once you've done that, um, you know, I spoke with a few of the players afterwards, and, and they said, "Listen, you know, if it comes off, you know, we all look like geniuses. If it doesn't, um, you know, we saw what happened." So when you've done that, you conceded the late goal. You go to extra time, and then there's no way back. You know, from there, what what you can do. Um, tactically, the only thing they could do is what they ultimately ended up doing and, and going back to four at the back. Obviously, the red card didn't help with Aiden O'Neill as well. And then you've stuck Harry Sutar up front. Uh, you know, I mean, we've seen this with, with the Socceroos um, in the past. It's it's a bit agricultural and it's, and it's a bit ugly and it's a bit of a throwback to 1982. But, um, you know, there were, there were no other options. I mean, you couldn't stick with the back five at that point and, and kind of sit and play on the counter. I mean, you had to do something. So... Um, it was a gamble, a kind of all-in gamble, and it was one that, um, yeah, that Arnie lost. And it's just such a shame, you know, because you look at, as you said there, I think the tournament was opening up so nicely. You know, there's been no standout team. I mean, you know, all the semifinals, they've all kind of struggled. So, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's just such, such a shame because it was so close. For Japan as well, they've also been consigned to an early uh, exit, a defensive calamity, really. I mean, I guess you could say that was somewhat akin to uh, to the Socceroos, just a couple of moments here or there um, that, that led to yeah, a penalty in their case as well. How is that going to be digested in your in your adopted homeland and what does it mean for, for Moriyasu going forward? Well, I think I think Moriyasu will, will stay on. I don't think there's any question of that. Um... But it's, I mean, ultimately, it's very, very disappointing. And the goalkeeper issue really hurt him, um, you know, throughout the tournament. I mean, 
he didn't have a senior goalkeeper with him and and then I think as you saw as things went on and the more mistakes that came from Zion Suzuki the more that other players uh in the team you know particularly from set piece situations have kind of lost faith in him so you know whether that mix up at the end that, that ultimately cost him was a was a reflection yeah of, of just the team not being confident in the goalkeeper and when you're in that um environment those kind of things can happen and yeah, I mean, it's just such a disappointment, you know, because the, obviously the quality, we didn't see Mitoma um, as much as we should have because of, of injury. But, you know, they still had the quality to, you know, to win this competition. But, yeah, defensively and particularly in goal, um, things hurt them. So I spoke with uh, Tommy Asu after the game and he said, OK, we have to be honest that Japan's not the big nation that um, we think we are. So, you know, kind of reflection from the players. Um, Moriasu will, I think, will obviously stay on. And then, yeah, they have to kind of regroup and, and maybe keep rebuilding with, uh, you know, a few of the younger players that he's tried to bring in. But ultimately, it's, yeah, I mean, you know, quarterfinal exits for Australia and Japan, I think, in a way, um, Australia has maybe met expectations and Japan has certainly, um, yeah, not. Scott, we'll go back to uh, your opening comments and the fairy tale story, Jordan. Um, for me, the match of the tournament was Iraq 2, Jordan 3. It was an incredible match. Red cards, controversy with the Australian uh, Iranian heritage referee, referee, referee as well. But um, what did you make of um, Iraq's exit at that stage of the tournament? Um, were they stiff in that match? And can Jordan go one further? Yes, obviously, you know, what happened with Iraq, I mean, I just thought they were such a good team, so exciting, a lot of great young players, I think a really good coach. Um, yeah, the incident with um, Ali Reza Fagani was a, a little bit of a curious one, sending a player off for excessive celebrations, which obviously changed the, the tempo of that match and ultimately Iran's participation at the tournament. We saw what happened post-match um, as well with a few of the journalists really bizarrely trying to attack um, Kassas in the press conference as well. So, yeah, really, really strange things happening around Iraqi football once again. But Jordan, absolutely fantastic. So I actually ran into Prince Ali, the the head of the RFA and you know, kind of a, a bit of a player um, in, in FIFA as well, who's put this um, letter out now bank, uh, calling for a ban on, on Israel. So, um, and, and you know, if you look at the the, the remaining teams, this uh, Musa Altamari, you know, the right winger who plays in France, is such an absolutely um, brilliant player. So, you know, Jordan has this kind of game changer. career. obviously has the game changers. Qatar has um, Akram Afif, who's the best player in the tournament. Um, so, and, and Iran obviously has, uh, you know, a bunch of players as well. So you can really see any nation from here on winning. I mean, you wouldn't expect Jordan to go on and win it, but why can't they? You know, I mean, it's... you. You, you, you're two matches away. You have genuine uh, playmakers in your ranks. You have quite a lot of support here regionally as well. Um, and, you know, if, if Qatar go out on the other side of the draw, I think everyone will be on the Jordan bandwagon. So, yeah, fantastic story. And absolutely, they can go on and win it. And just the atmosphere at the Games. Um, I'm sure Australians and our listening audience that have been tuning in via the TV have been sort of getting a feel for it. But the atmosphere has been incredible. The, the migrant communities that live in Qatar, all these nations have such strong support. It's really been a fabulous and friendly, friendly atmosphere as well. Yeah, yeah, and I mean the the crowds certainly the officially posted ones have been um, have been very very good and and like you said yeah most of the games I've been now to maybe six um, have have been really yeah yeah really really good and I think it's also showing the benefit of hosting in your kind of neighbourhood you know because we would have expected Japan we would have expected Australia maybe to have gotten through uh, to the semi-finals but you look at it ultimately and there's three teams from this kind of region that have made it through so again the benefits of of being here and 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 having that home backing or or, you know, the case of the West Asian nations, when when they drop out, they do kind of jump on the other 
um, you know, local teams as well, which I don't think we would see so much in in the east part of the competition. So yeah, the tournament's been great. Obviously, it was always going to be good from a you know infrastructure perspective because they hosted the World Cup uh, less than 12, uh, 12 months ago. So yeah, I, it, it, it's been really good and. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, no complaints. I, there was a lot of worry coming into it. What are the crowds going to be like? But um, yeah, it's been it's been fantastic so far. I just hope they don't go through with moving the um, the semi final, the final, which they're talking about doing at um, the twenty fourth hour, which would be a bit of a strange um, decision. But um, yeah, I think that may still be possible. So hopefully that doesn't happen. Yeah, that would be an interesting one from the people who are managing the ticketing system, at least. Anyway, let's uh, talk. Let's last question before I hand back to Willem is let's just talk about the hosts. Their pre-tournament form was average, very average. They've had a they had a really poor World Cup qualification or World Cup campaign leading up to the World Cup and the World Cup, I should say. Um, what do you make of their incredible form? I know they've got a super player in the team, but they have, for me anyway, um, overachieved. Yeah, actually, um, the, the whole thing about Carlos you know, Cuero's kind of leaving whatever it was six weeks before the tournament. I spoke with one of his assistants yesterday and, and they said, um, yeah, nobody really knows, you know, what, what happened, but um, it was obviously, oh, it was a massive surprise, but okay. You've brought in a coach who knows the league, which, which kind of helped, but nobody expected them, I think to, to probably get this far, given all that turmoil, you know, right on the, on the eve of the competition. But um, as you said, um, Akram Afif is such, such an excellent player. You know, he's, um, it, 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 it's like he's nine different players. I mean, he's here, there, he's there. He's here. It, it, just a, just an astonishing player, and the, you know, just unbelievable technique. You know, see long balls, and he he just kills it dead immediately. He can dribble, pass plays. He can shoot. He sets. He's he's a man. He's one of the best players I've ever seen in in Asian football. You know, right up there with the early days of Omar Abdul Rahman, the the Emirati who could have really been something is now. Um, put on a little bit of weight and I think he's doing military service in the Emirates. So he's kind of, um, his career has gone one way, but uh, Afif is at this point now, you know, um, could be anything. I mean, he could be, uh, you know, he, he could be starring in the Premier League, right? No, no questions asked. So does he have the ambition? Um, that, that's, that's the kind of question. I'd love to see him, you know, playing at a really high level. He's just such an amazing, yeah, an amazing player. So you've got this kind of um, player. Um, Alma Wezali obviously was a star of the, the previous tournament, not so, um, influential so far in this but still has the quality Hassan um, Al-Haidos who's um, whose teeth you can probably see um, from uh, from outer space um, he, he's been very very good um, as well he's got this amazing teeth, you know, this guy. Um, and he yeah he's chipped in with some some amazing goals some important goals as well uh, defensively they've been probably much better than we expected as well so yeah when you when you've got a fifth you know could win anything you know you could win the world cup with this guy he's, so, he's such a good player so again so Qatar are, are absolutely in with a with a huge shot of winning it too scott roberto mancini at saudi arabia caused great angst as he sort of turned his back and head for the tunnel before uh, the final penalty kick which saw them eliminated went in uh he's the big name for the big job uh, towards a, a decade of saudi football uh, really with a world cup and a, and a home asian cup to come but you know, we've we had some early comments in the media, which really sort of drew the battle lines with with his players outside the squad. And we've now had a good look at his body language on the touchline. So do you feel this is the start of something? Is he is he going to not see out the whole decade? But is, is yeah, is this, is this the start of something or is this maybe closer to uh, to the finish? Yeah, um, I mean, they invested a lot of money in him. Um, I, I, my understanding is he's on um, he's making around 28 million. So he's, he's got um, 
quite a hefty investment. Not that the Saudis don't have the money to move on if they wanted to, but um, yeah, I mean, he he. It's been controversy right from the start, you know, some of the comments he made, some of the plays he omitted um, from the squad and this whole bizarre thing with walking off during a penalty shootout, then coming out afterwards and saying he thought it was over. You know, he's making that much money. His arithmetic skills are maybe not what they should be. Um, um, and obviously playing pretty bad football as well. You know, I mean, it was maybe the kind of football we expected, um, you know, well-organised um, defensively, but not with the flair that they had um, going forward under uh, Hervé Renard, you know they were really building something under under uh, under Renard that we saw obviously what they did in the World Cup against Argentina. So they have great, really. Uh, actually, in terms of the individuals, they've still got great players. Obviously, Salam um, Aldassari is a brilliant player. I thought all three of the central defenders in this tournament were outstanding. This Hassan Al Tambaki, the right uh, centre back, is one of my favourite um, players in Asian football, and another guy that. Now what's going on with the league is probably not, but, you know, you'd like to see these kind of young Saudi players going abroad and testing themselves as well. So, yeah, it's, it's a curious time. I don't think Mancini's going anywhere, but, um, yeah, interesting to see what happens. Scott, fantastic to chat, mate. Thank you, as always. As we look back from a Socceroos perspective, it might be hard to think about the, uh, the 2023 Asian Cup, but from a whole-of-tournament perspective, it's been magnificent. and We've still got the final uh, most important part to play out, so it's been great to have you uh, with us throughout. Thank you very much. No worries, guys. Scott McIntyre of the Asian game there and jump to that podcast for ongoing coverage uh, right up until the end of the tournament. Stick around on the other side of this, AFCON with Rob Stevens. Chemist Warehouse time. Edge, get a massive half price off the Swiss vitamins range right now at Chemist Warehouse. Whereabouts? Chemist Warehouse, Willem. I'll tell you what, everybody needs a good, healthy stockpile of vitamins uh, in your war chest. The Swiss Calcium Plus Vitamin D, 150 tablets for just $15.99, and Swiss Men's or Women's Multivitamin, 120 tablets for $29.99. That sale does exclude bulk sizes. And this is good for you, Edge. Chemist Warehouse are making it easier to get your essential items in addition to visiting your local store, which may be tough depending on where you are right around the, uh, the big wide world. You can always order online and click and collect to save time or choose fast delivery for same day home delivery. T's and C's and charges may apply, but it's still pretty good edge. Absolutely. Hey, Willem, you're over there in Holland. Uh, the gloominess of a European winter, the sun doesn't shine very much. Are you getting a bit of vitamin D? In the- yeah, the tablets, they, they go around town. People say that, um, yeah, they're the antidepressant, aren't they? A bit of vitamin D. and. Um, yeah, not a great deal of sun going around. So they absolutely can help you get through this period and they reckon there's a month to go and then the sun starts to come out and the tourists roll in as well. Edge might see you over here. Chemist Warehouse, great savings every day. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. If there's one point that exemplifies the madcap, unpredictable nature of this year's AFCON, it's that none of the 2021 quarterfinalists were present in the last eight this time around. Rob Stevens joined us uh, days out from the tournament to take up the fraught task, or he was perhaps somewhat pushed into the task of trying to predict the future. Uh, he gave us four big contenders at that point, and somehow, Rob, as we welcome you in, uh, it's Le Cote d'Ivoire that remain. They've had an extraordinary tournament. They had a Uh, a tally of three points and a minus three goal difference. They've sacked their manager, uh, but they're still standing. What have you made of it all? Yeah, it's been, it's been madcap. It's just been 
big teams getting knocked out, little teams doing, or so-called little teams doing well, it's really confounded expectations. And I think of the fact that that you pick out there that all the quarter finalists are different from the 2021 finals uh, is is maybe the point that underlines everything and how how difficult it has been to predict this tournament and how how lively and and, and brilliant a tournament it has been so far and one that's you know confounded the pundits in many ways. I picked out those four big teams that I thought would do well and to have only one standing at this point in the semi-finals is definitely a, a surprise for me as it is for for many people who've tried to predict what would happen at this tournament so far. Can you give us a sense of, you know, we know you're not at the tournament, but just the, the the scenes that we saw in the end of the game with the Ivory Coast there. Mali had obviously dominated large spells of that game. The clock was sticking on to 90 minutes. The, the roar of the crowd was exceptional. Scenes in the in the ground. But what 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 is the feeling in Cote d'Ivoire at the moment? Is it just amazement? Is it, what is it? <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I, I'd say that after um, uh, after that 4-0 defeat by Equatorial Guinea in their final group game, there was a feeling of apathy among uh, Ivory Coast fans. And this is what I'm getting from colleagues of mine who are out there at the tournament. Um, but then after, as as the tournament's progressed and sort of, I think over those couple of days, the attendances at games were down because Ivory Coast fans were staying at home, even stopping them from attending other games. Whereas as they've suddenly built this momentum, a feeling has grown in the country where after one of the games in Yamasukra, I think it was the last 16 game that they won on penalties against Senegal, you know, there were people out on the streets to the early hours in traffic jams, bumping their horns, waving flags. And I think one of the major things that you need sometimes in a tournament is luck, especially when a team isn't performing well. And in some ways, MS5 and Ivory Coast have had that with last-minute goals to, to take that game to extra time and then a last-minute winner to save them even having to uh, have a penalty shootout again. Um, and, and you can see the joy that's built amongst the, the fans in, 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 in the ground and in the country itself. I mean, it's been a pretty well-attended tournament, given that Mali are neighbours as well. They had a very strong... Uh, contingent of fans who'd come across the border to uh, to support them in that one. So I'd say that it's brilliant for the tournament, you'd say in a way, because if if the host had gone out of the group stage, it probably would have been a disaster for the tournament. If they got to the last 16 and redeemed themselves slightly, but lost to the holders on penalties, you'd say that was fair play. But to, to come this far, it's really, I think it's benefited the tournament as a whole for them to, to get this far and to have that renewed belief in themselves in a way, heading into a semi-final now against DR Congo that they'd probably see as, as winnable on, on that occasion. Yeah, and I was going to ask you whether the expectation is the expectation that they will sweep past DR Congo, not, not the most illustrious or celebrated uh, of the teams in in AFCON, uh, or is there a sting in the tail there? Has Congo got something uh, to offer in this match? I think uh, on this occasion, Ivory Coast may need to sort of take a step back and think that the job isn't done yet. Uh, that's always the danger for, for an overwhelming favourite going into one of these games. I think the fact that Ivory Coast haven't played their best football, uh, they're slowly getting players back. Sebastian Haller was back and starting uh, for the quarterfinal, but I don't think he's fully up to speed. They're getting Simon Dingra back, uh, although... You know, there are other players, the likes of Frank, Frank Kessie, Seko Fafana are still in decent form. I think that they need to be wary of the fact that, as they've seen so far at this AFCON already, anyone can be anyone. You can't be too overconfident. Uh, DR Congo, they weren't they weren't stunning in the group stage. I mean, they got as far as the quarterfinals without even winning a game, having beaten Egypt on penalties in the last 16. I think 
their match against Guinea was their most accomplished uh, showing of the tournament, although uh, Guinea were, were quite disappointing for my money. Once they fell behind, they didn't really offer too much uh, for a reply. So I think, I'd, obviously, DR Congo are dangerous, but you'd you'd expect, I say with my uh, with my hat, not too not too far firmly on to predict that Ivory Coast will get through. But I think uh, I'd like to hope that Ivory Coast as the host would have enough for, to to get over the line for this one and, and make that final. And looking at the uh, the other side of the draw. Uh, Nigeria, they weren't in your force watch, but they've come through um, this tournament relatively comfortably and, and their star names, Osimhen, Lukman, etc., all coming to the fore. Um, are they now the favourites for the tournament in your view, even if Ivory Coast at home? Would you say Nigeria that are now the odds-on to win the tournament? Uh, they're definitely the favourites on paper. The the one concern I had them before for the quarterfinals that they had a, a goalkeeping issue is uh, Stanley Nwabali. He got injured in their in their last sixteen win, but after the, after that he was actually fine and fit to start. So I'd say I'd say Nigeria are probably the favourites. I'd the wider world would probably want a Nigeria Ivory Coast final because it's two former champions, two heavyweights of of, of West African football going up against each other. Uh, I, I don't think it'll end up the other way. Uh, that could be famous last words of of being South Africa against DR Congo. Um, but for Nigeria, the fact that they finally found a decent game plan, they found something that works. They might uh, Victor Osimhen had been famous for his goals last season for Napoli firing them to that. Uh, elusive uh, Serie A title and everyone had expected that it was going to be his tournament, he was going to be the man scoring the goals and although he's had plenty of shots at goal and his XG has been high, he's only scored once but in the way his tireless running up front has set up the likes of Moses C- uh, Simon and uh, Adamola Lukman as, as being the man getting the goals and they've they've looked solid Nigeria, they've, they've come up with a game plan the reason I didn't include them in my favourites was because in the World Cup qualifiers they only drawn with uh, Lesotho and Zimbabwe in their first two World Cup qualifiers and and everything just seemed off for Nigeria the goalkeeping wasn't right they weren't creating in midfield Osimhen wasn't fit and they weren't creating or finishing off those chances whereas here in Ivory Coast they've just done enough in their group stage they only scored three goals in the groups but they got through uh, and then their last 16 game was uh, uh, was fairly comfortable against Cameroon in the end uh, so after again having a comfortable time against Angola in in the quarterfinals uh, I'd say that they're favourites to to get past South Africa uh, and reach the final. Certainly, uh, the, the South Africa goalkeeper will be busy. He had an incredible game in their quarter final. Can you can you tell us a bit about that performance? And if uh, Nigeria are going to look for for dangers, where could that come from from uh, Bafana Bafana? So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, even in their last 16 games, South Africa, I think that was their best performance of the tournament so far when they beat Morocco 2-0. They they really sort of held Africa's best team or the highest ranked team at arm's length for for much of that contest, only conceded a couple of chances. They did get a slice of luck when Ashraf Hakimi uh, missed a penalty. But yeah, in this this quarterfinal against Cape Verde at the weekend, um, I, I thought South Africa were a bit inhibited actually they played slightly within themselves and the best chance of the game fell right at the end of uh second half at Benchamol the the Cape Verde striker had a brilliant shot from inside the area which Ronwen Williams just fingertip saved he, he managed to tip it onto the uh, onto the woodwork and then South Africa probably had the better chances in in extra time when uh Evidence Makopa had a header and then there was another shot blocked as well but 
the penalty shootout was unlike anything I'd ever seen. They, they weren't some of the best quality penalties from Cape Verde, but the fact that Ronwan Williams, the South Africa goalkeeper, managed to save four out of the five spot kicks is absolutely incredible. I don't think I've ever seen that in a shootout for, for, for four saves in a row, or four out of the five, I should say. Um, incredible scenes. Um, and I think for South Africa, the fact that they missed the last tournament, have come back into this one. Uh, I did think that they'd do okay. I thought that they might be dark horses to get out of the group. I wouldn't have had them pinned down to get as far as the semi-finals. Uh, for, for their for their team, I think uh, Deboho Mokawena has been very impressive in midfield. He likes a long-distance shot. Some have been better than others. He scored a brilliant free kick. He's tested a few goalkeepers in the in the quarterfinals. His uh, his radar was slightly off in terms of where he was shooting. Percy Tau is a very good performer. He's uh, he's picked up awards on the continent for sort of best um, inter-club player of the year, playing for Al Ali, the uh, Egyptian giants. Evidence Magopa, he's been a decent forward. So I think South Africa have their threats. Uh, Mokawena and Percy Tau are probably the two standout players for me. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see whether they can come up against this Nigeria side after possibly an underperformance by Bafana Bafana in the quarterfinal to see if they can really test this Nigeria side. You mentioned Cape Verde before and just going a little broader on the tournament, were they, would you, would you have them as one of your teams of the tournament or surprise package of, of the tournament? They, they had some amazing uh, moments, came through a unbelievably tough, tough group and, embarrassed quite a lot of so-called big name star uh, star teams were they are they one of your teams of the tournament yeah definitely i think that the way they were on group b with a game to spare having having first played um uh, you know beating ghana so so suddenly at the end and then beating mozambique quite comfortably uh there were times against egypt as well where having rotated half their team it looked like they might win that game as well um and then I think their performances in in the knockout stages, they just play, they play passing football and they have a clear game plan. They know what they're doing. I think that's the occasion where, you know, some African teams might bring in a big name coach or chop and change. Whereas Bubista, the, the Cape Verde coach, has been there for quite a long time. They've brought players in from the diaspora of, of Cape Verdean heritage. You might be born in Portugal or elsewhere in Europe. They've constructed a team. They've kept them together for quite a while. They have a game plan. They know what they're doing, and and in a way, they have they have players of quality who they make sure they get the ball to, um, uh, and they dominate the ball for large periods of that game against South Africa. And I think perhaps we'll see them as unfortunate that they didn't win. They 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 failed at that penalty shootout. The 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 one thing I might say about them is in that quarterfinal they had Bebe, the former Manchester United winger, who who came on, and I th- I felt at times he felt like he felt himself that he needed to be the man to win the game. And I felt like at times he played a bit selfishly taking shots when he should have looked for a teammate. But they they show about, you know, how the level in Africa in many ways, how the so-called lesser nations, those further ranked, uh, further further down the rankings have perhaps, perhaps overperformed at times. Yeah, looking at the other side of the coin, looking through some of the uh, the wreckage of uh, of this AFCON, we were talking about your your big for um, Egypt, Senegal and Morocco were in that uh, and obviously had to go home at various stages of the tournament. Is there someone who you think is the the kind of um, letdown of the tournament, if you could pinpoint, pinpoint one team? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, if, if you're talking about the wreckage, the, the, there's plenty of managers who can tell you about the wreckage, the likes of Chris <laughs> Hewton, Rue, Vittoria uh, from Egypt has gone, um, the, the Algeria and Tunisia bosses. Uh, I'd, I'd say Algeria were a big letdown. I would have thought they'd have come through that group with um, uh, after losing their final game to Mauritania. That was that was definitely a surprise. And you look at Angola, who've been another a, a, a good team who've overperformed. Ghana, definitely as well. There's been a lot of heat on Ghana in terms of where it's gone wrong for the Black Stars. Uh, two early group exits uh, from from the last Afcon as well, and now this one. They they were a massive letdown. Um, so you look at where Ghanaian football is going to go next, and you think they need to get their next appointment right. Um, Tunisia, I, I said before the tournament that I didn't really expect much from them get knocked out in the group wasn't necessarily a big surprise I think Egypt were unlucky uh, I tipped when I came on before I thought that Egypt would go all the way to the final with Mo Salah they were a bit unfortunate with injuries as well in their in their last 16 game and, and not getting through against uh, DR Congo uh, but yeah for me the, the big standout for, for someone who's done badly is, is Ghana uh, unfortunately for them well, Rob, within uh, within a few days, we'll have a a champion. It's been a blistering tournament. Staying on top has been uh, has been quite the task. So it's uh, brilliant that um, that you've been able to uh, to join us throughout it. Just looking beyond the uh, beyond the final uh, on Saturday with a forty eight team World Cup now in play. How does the the structure of African uh, football and the structure of qualifying change as we as we cast forward? Obviously, considering there will be another Afcon before that point. Yeah, well, uh, funnily enough, they still haven't set the dates for the new AFCON, which is due to be in 2025 in Morocco, um, because if it goes back to the summer dates or the European summer dates, the June-July dates, uh, that's when FIFA's new Club World Cup is supposed to be in uh, in America. And there are two uh, two uh, African teams in that, Al-Ali and, uh, and Widad Casablanca. So CAF are trying to have to work with FIFA to say, when are we going to hold it? Because if they have it in January, February again, it's going to clash with the European season. Anyway, I digress. So... African World Cup qualifying, because now they've got nine guaranteed places, they've drawn all 54 teams in Africa into uh, nine different groups. So they're playing uh, however many games that is. I'm trying to work it too, for six teams in each group. And the the group winner from every group will go through. And then they're going to have playoff qualifiers because Africa has another half place. They'll go into a continental qualifier. So Africa could have 10 qualifiers for the World Cup for the first time. It's going to have nine for the first time. So um, they've already played two rounds. The thing is, because this World Cup qualifying is stretched over such a long period, they played two games in uh, September or October, it was. And then they're going to play two in June. And then they have a break until 2025 when they pick it up again, because they've got to fit in qualifiers for the next AFCON. So there are a few teams that have won their first two qualifiers already. Egypt, Algeria, Tunisia, Comoros and Ivory Coast, they're the ones with 100% records. Uh, but there are other teams that have slightly struggled. So Nigeria have only got two points so far in their group. So they're trailing Rwanda and South Africa in their group. So I think that could be tricky because South Africa have been one of the standout teams of this AFCON and they're going to struggle to get out of a group perhaps from the, the that includes Nigeria. So there are definitely groups that are finely poised. Ghana have only got three groups. They're in there with uh, Mali. Uh, whereas Comoros sits top of that group. Uh, Equatorial Guinea have got six points. They're in with Tunisia. So I think there are definitely, definitely twists and turns to come that the African qualifying always does throw up because of the, the challenges that, that there are. Uh, I've just noticed Cape Verde in with Cameroon. So that could be another one that, 
that you get some unexpected qualifiers for for a different occasion. But obviously, this plays out over almost two full years. Mm-hmm. So you've got to ride the highs and the lows as you go. Rob, comprehensive as always, would be lost trying to cover Rafcon without your uh, your expertise. So thank you very much for joining us, and we'll uh, we'll have to get you back on as those two full years play out. We uh, we do ride those uh, those highs and lows of World Cup qualification. Thank you once again. Yeah, great to chat, guys. Cheers. Rob Stevens of BBC Sport Africa there. We've got a little bit of World Cup corner to come on the other side. Hang about. Well, 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 everybody's going to buy Hoyt Spices. Everyone's going to save a dollar or two. Everybody's going to buy Hoyt Spices, yeah. Well, 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 do you love flavour-packed meals, Edge? Oh, I love flavour-packed meals, Willem. Uh, don't we all? Well, if you do, look no further than the amazing range of herbs and spices to change the mood of your food from our great friends at Hoyt's. And the flavours of your next meal, they just explode in your mouth. We all know it by now. And remember that at any point, Edge, you can refill any of your empty spice jars with Hoyt's value packs. It's been three months or so since I floated over to uh, Bangkok and gave you a packet of chili and was at the garam masala as well, so you'd be due for a refill. Uh, yeah, that, no, there's still a little bit left, but um, I, I have been using that. Thank you very much, Willem. Um, imagine um, giving someone a gift of chili bought in Australia in Thailand. Can you believe in that? Thailand, yeah. Well, it doesn't matter what it is. You were happy with Hoyt's and you got it from, or I got it from, Coles, Woolworths, or all good independent supermarkets. Fill those empties with Hoyt's spices, yeah. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Welcome back, World Cup Corner to close. Edge, you've got this in your hands this week. Some exciting news around what the 2026 World Cup is going to look like. We know that across the US and Canada and Mexico, there were a genuine plethora of host cities or potential host cities putting their hand up to have the uh, the tournament in their backyard. It's been a, a long process, but we've eventually narrowed it down and we've now got some real detail around the opening match and uh, and the final. Absolutely. But the big news was what Gianni Infantino was wearing. He looked like something out of... Uh... Well, he looked like something like he was going to an ABBA concert. But anyway, that's... Uh, other right. I haven't seen it. Have you seen it, Derek? No, no, I haven't. Well, that's more. Sure have a look at his choice of clothing for the uh, announcements. Quite interesting. Um, copped a little bit of um, feedback on social media, did Johnny? But having said all of that, FIFA announced that uh, New York, New Jersey will kick off, uh, will, will host the final, I should say, on Sunday the 19th of July 2026. So New York, the Big Apple, Willem, will host the final mm. in 2026. And the opening match will, will include uh, the host nation Mexico at the iconic Estadio Azteca Mexico City, which is one of the great coliseums of the world. So this tournament is bookended by two fantastic venues. Uh, Toronto in Canada, uh, Mexico City in Mexico and Los Angeles in the USA will host the host nations will kick off their campaigns respectively. Um, FIFA also announced that um, uh, all of the host nations will play their home matches on their home soil. Um, and that's uh, not too much of a surprise. Um, the, the big news, though, is for um, uh, national federations and fans where FIFA's decided to use hubs uh, where clubs, uh, or, should, or should say national teams, will be based. They'll play two of their three matches in the one city. So there's only going to be one travelling component of the match, uh, of their of their matches, or the three group matches. So that's a big improvement, obviously a, a necessary organi- organisational logistical um, 
circumstance. But FIFA President um, Gianni Infantino said that this is going to be the biggest and the best World Cup. It's going to be played in the most amazing and uh, modern stadiums. And we got a bit of a glimpse of the Socceroos recently when they played at Dallas. Uh, the sort of the stadiums that will be uh, will be unbelievably uh, technologically advanced with uh, screens and digital uh, connectivity for fans to enhance the experience. But it is going to be an unbelievable World Cup, the first time, 48 teams, Willem, and um, we'll kick off in Mexico City and we'll end in New York. Yeah, so Dallas, that stadium is going to host the most matches of all nine and the Socceroos boys were very impressed when they went there uh, to play to play Mexico sort of middle of the way through last year. Um, the quarterfinals onwards are all going to be in the US, so as we sort of sharpen to the pointy end of the tournament, uh, yeah, it's all going to be uh, stateside. So LA, Kansas, Miami, and Boston will host last eight matches, while the semifinals will be in Dallas and Atlanta. But the thing that's got me most excited out of that, Derek, and maybe not so much, well, maybe for you, we'll see, we'll see how you feel about it. I won't speak for you, but yeah, a nice little bit of history there with the uh, the opening game at the Azteca Stadium. The World Cup returns to uh, the scene of the hand of God. I think it's a great show. I just think you know you want to get this World Cup off to the the best possible start. I mean, so many are iconic. Uh, opening matches, uh, who would ever forget uh, Bafana Bafana winning uh, their opening game of the World Cup in South Africa in 2010, for example. So, yeah, rather than that, America is going to be a great host, Canada is going to be a great host, they're a, they're a magnificent stadia, passionate fans. But I think we all know where the, the atmosphere and noise is going to be. It's going to be in Mexico City on that opening day. So, I think that's, uh, that's uh, just worked out perfectly. Were you there that night for Shabalala's opening goal? Yes, I was. Yeah, nice. I remember you telling me that way back. Sorry, you were going to jump in? No, I was just going to say that looking at some of the hubs, imagine if the Socceroos get uh, drawn in the northeast hub. That would mean we would play matches in either Boston, New York or Philadelphia. Or if we drawn in the south hub, we could be playing in one of Dallas, Houston or Miami or all three of those or two of those. And um, what about if in Mexico? We could get to Mexico City. That would mean we would be in Mexico's group, which would be... Um, a little bit challenging, um, and Monterrey and um, that famous city that I love to pronounce correctly, Guadalajara. Oh, that's 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 pretty good effort. Uh, maybe Kylian Mbappe will be drawn to play in Guadalajara. Uh, the Socceroos, we might have done ourselves a bit of a disservice there. You speak about who we might be drawn with. Obviously, going out of the Asian Cup is the main issue, but our ranking's pretty good at the minute, and another you know advancing through another stage or two might have put us in pot three as opposed to pot four, which would be uncharted territory for us at a World Cup. Certainly would. Um, yeah, look, it's, it's, it's just going to be We've an still got exciting... to qualify, sorry. Well, we will qualify. I mean, we haven't qualified, no. but we will qualify. Let's not uh, get silly about it. Uh, but, yeah, it's just it's going to be uh, an amazing World Cup. Um, I think the, the expansion of 48 teams will be, will be successful and we'll see an injection of passion from nations who don't normally qualify for this World Cup. And who knows, Derek, we might get the odd Cinderella story or two. Oh, I think it's going to be uh, a terrific... I think it's going to be an absolutely terrific World Cup. Uh, you know, I think we've we've been all around the world, obviously seeing different locations, Qatar, Russia. You've been there. You boys have been there all the way. I just think bringing it to to North America to the, the heritage that is the Mexican um, Mexican faithful, and of course just the untapped potential which is North America. I just think it's going to be super exciting. I can't wait for it to start. And of course, guys, we'll be looking forward to seeing whether Argentina can defend their title, which they won so gloriously the last time. And will Lionel Messi be there to 
uh, raise the World Cup. And just on Lionel Messi, I just wanted to flag, it's a very tenuous link for World Cup corner, but uh, there is going to be a very special object that's going to be auctioned by Bonhams of London uh, in the next uh, little while. It is a napkin that was um, written out by uh, the then head of Barcelona, Barcelona Scouting and Recruitment um, Programme, uh, Carlos Recach, and uh, it was to Messi's dad, basically reassuring uh, him that Barcelona were coming in for his 13-year-old son. It was then at the time. It was signed in uh, 20, uh, 2000. It's going to be going on uh, for auction at £300,000 or $582,000 Australian dollars. And I just, I just made me wonder, you know, it's always on the back of a napkin, isn't it? They don't these guys have any other stationery with them uh, in their in their business affairs? I don't know what it is about the napkin. It is actually quite a big napkin. There's quite a lot of words on it. I can't read it because it's in in Spanish, but I get the sense that they're giving reassurances that they will sign Messi. Imagine if they imagine if they didn't do that. But it was uh, that napkin all the way through to that podium in Qatar. There you go. What a story. Uh, well, Adam on the buttons is a big North Melbourne man, and I believe Ron Barassi signed uh, on the on the back of a napkin. So that's steeped in uh, in history of all sorts of sports. Derek, he's a bit on the nose, Messi at the moment as well in Hong Kong edge because he didn't come off the bench. They were not happy in the stands. No, that's the problem when you uh, sell these sort of uh, friendly uh, matches. That those are the things will happen. Who knows? He might have had a little twing, little twinge, or a little issue, or he might have been feeling sick. But you know, you can't guarantee. It's happened to. Uh, cities all over the world who've sp- spent money in getting these sort of events and the big boys don't play. Derek brings us to the end of the show. Thank you very much for your uh, your contribution once again this week. I'm sure Rob will uh, you know eventually surface from his uh, from his bedroom and be front and centre, not on stoppage time, but on the uh, the main show in a week's time. So thank you for joining us. Have a great week. Cheers, guys. And Edge, we will also emerge from our respective bedrooms and stop crying over the grooves at some point in the next uh, three days to front up for, for stoppage time again. Thank you. Thank you, Willem. Look forward to that. Always good to have a bit of a chat around stoppage time with you. And Derek? We will be, yeah, we will be back on, on Wednesday. The three of us are going to saddle up again. Thank you to Scott McIntyre and Rob Stevens for joining us. Uh, very busy men in the heat of their jobs, but never without time to, uh, to give us a, a hand. So that's always appreciated. And to Adam Maloney, who does a, a brilliant job on the buttons behind the scenes, pulling it all together. Please do remember to like us on Facebook, follow us on X at Box2BoxNTS and enjoy our written content at Box2BoxNTS.com. And please do join us again shortly when we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.